Hello and welcome to the Scottish Clans podcast. I'm Clint Edwards. Thank you for joining me. And today, for this episode, we are going to go super basic with it. We are going to take the subject of Scottish clans right down to its very core. We're going to get really uh, fundamental with the history. We're going to start with places that you've got to know as you're starting off. And you know what? I remember what I understood and the context that I had in my head of this subject. And I understand that I pushed along in this subject for quite a long time without having a really solid grasp on some more general events that were going on. So I want to do two things, and this might develop into a series. It just depends on how long it takes me to explain it. I hope to do this very simply, by the way. But I remember that because I did not have a broader context of Scottish history knowledge when I was first learning about this, now going clear back to my teenage years, and, and, in, and at that time, I was really in it for the cool stories. But the stories are more cool. The history is more meaningful if we understand context. So I'm going to be getting a little bit into the context and into what a Scottish clan is, which we have developed that idea quite a bit on this podcast, and it is still an ongoing topic. I've noticed in the Facebook group, which is starting to really pick up some momentum now. I'm daily getting requests for people to join the group, and I'm seeing the comment section really start to blossom. So I'm going to try my best to keep an eye on what the discussions that are happening on the group, but I think it's great that you all are talking with each other and sharing ideas. And I gave the analogy in the last episode of it's more of a soccer game with the ball being passed amongst team members rather than a ping pong match where you hit it to the one side and then they hit it back and they hit it to the other side and I'm mediating every conversation that goes on, which is why we got away from the Facebook page because that's how I had to do it. Anyway, so today... We're going to start off. I'm not going to go into detail like on listener feedback today. I didn't notice anything new on Apple Podcasts or on the Podbean app. Um, there have been some newer comments on the Facebook group, but I believe I've either responded to them to the degree that I was able to at the time I saw it, or somebody else has responded. Um, that's maybe not true for every single thing, but... I think right now what I've got time for is to just jump into this subject and do as much damage as I can do in the time I've got. And if we need to extend this into another episode or two, we'll do it. And I'm just going to really try to stay super basic with this. This is for the beginners. Now, do not let that scare you away if you feel like you're farther down this trail and you have a more academic knowledge of this. Let me tell you about some of my other Hobbies. Some of you have been listening long enough know that I enjoy shooting firearms. And some of you might think I'm a horrible person for that, but um, I really do enjoy it. And especially I like the precision rifle. I like being able to hit targets from a long ways away. And I still listen to podcasts that deal with the subject on a fundamental level. And I still pick things up that I hadn't thought about before. I just like the subject so much that I'm ready to talk about it on whatever level, 
and that's exactly how I feel about this subject of Scottish clans, I'm as happy to discuss the basics as I am to dive way into the academic weeds with you all. So I want I, I, and I, if you listen to the last episode, you know that this idea came from a conversation I had with my mom, who had jumped in on the episode regarding bonds of man rent, which is a little bit more of an academic thing. And her feedback to me was, you know, Clint, I really, I really think you got to not get into the weeds so much. And I was like, well, Mom, I got people on all ranges of the spectrum that listen to this podcast, and and sometimes we need to dive that far into it, but. I took her counsel um, seriously because she is a, a very intelligent woman and I respect her opinion. And so we're going to do this. I, that got me to thinking, you know what, we're going to do some basic stuff here. So this episode is for everybody, but it's specifically aimed at those of you who are just starting out. Maybe you just learned that your last name is Scottish. You didn't even know it was Scottish. You're like, well, maybe I ought to jump into this. You found a podcast, and here you are. This is for you. But I hope you're still listening if you are farther down the road, because I think there'll be something in here for everybody. Okay, so to start off with, let's talk about what is a Scottish clan. Well, the word clan comes from a Gallic word that means children of. All right, so you'll see different clan titles that say... Clan, you'll see, you'll see it be in, in just if it's straight English, it'll say the McGregor clan or the Mackenzie clan or the Sinclair clan. And now, if they're going to go slightly more Gallic with it, not, not super duper Gallic, but slightly more Gallic than that, they'll say clan McGregor or clan Mackenzie. And that's usually how the Wikipedia articles are titled. Maybe, maybe other websites that will pop up on a quick Google search. Now, if we're going to get slightly more authentic with the Gallic language, because clan means children of, Mac means son of. Now, as many of you probably already know, you do not need to have a Mac at the beginning of your name to be descended from a no-kidding Scottish clan. It doesn't mean you're less of a clan because you didn't have Mac. But Mac is from the Gaelic, or Gaelic, that means son of. By the way, the reason I corrected myself right there between Gaelic and Gaelic is because in Scotland, as opposed to Ireland, they tend to pronounce the name of their language Gaelic. And in Ireland, they tend to pronounce it Irish. <laughs> if it's if they're speaking in English referring to their native language in that country, they tend to use Irish to differentiate it from the language spoken that's really related in Scotland. Where they pronounce it Gaelic, they'll just call it Irish. But if they're actually going to use the word, it's pronounced in Ireland more like Gaelic. And in the actual Gaelic, it sounds more like Gaelge. There you have it. Okay, so sometimes I say Gaelic and then I try to correct myself because they were speaking in a Scottish context, but that's why. Okay, Mac comes from the Gaelic to mean son of. Now, fairly late up into history, into the 16, 1700s, in the Gaelic-speaking world, you still had people who didn't go so much by a surname 
and we're probably referring to more the lower classes of people, lower levels of society, but they still did have a last name, but it changed every generation, kind of like the Scandinavians were doing. Clear up until my ancestor Hans D. Pedersen came from Sweden over to and settled in Utah. And I think he was the first one to fix the last name, to use the same last name that his dad used. The Scandinavians did that really late in the game. Now, in Scotland, they did too, except for the upper levels of society where it was way more important. They're operating on bigger geographical scales, and the, the title was important. But the lower echelons of society would generally go by, I am Sean Mac Yine. And we anglicize that or make it English by saying Ian. But Yine is the Gaelic for John. Um, or, and so is, okay, I'm not going to get into the weeds on this. I'm tempted to do it, but I'm not going to do it. Anyway, let's pick a different, let's pick a different name. My name is Seamus McYine. Okay, I'm James, son of John. And then my son might call himself Lachlan, Lachlan McHamish. Okay, Lachlan McHamish. Lachlan, son of James. All right, so, and it changes every generation like that. So that's, that's the significance of Mac. Now with clan, if we're referring to the, the kindred as a whole, you could say, if you're speaking English, Clan Macintosh, or Clan Mackenzie, or Clan MacDonald. Now, I'm going to use MacDonald, because I don't have to get too crazy with the Gallic language on this one. If I'm being slightly more authentic with the Gallic language, I'm going to say Clan Donald, right? I'm still not pronouncing Donald in Gallic. But what I'm saying is we're the children of Donald because the whole, ser- the whole group, the whole kindred are calling themselves the sons of Donald. When they say Mac- the, the, we're, the, we're the McDonald's, we're the sons of Donald. And by implication, that's sons and daughters. So, but if we use the word clan, we say clan Donald, we're the children of Donald. Okay, yep, there was a Donald once upon a time. I'm not going to go into the weeds on who he was, where he comes from. But that's how that, those words mean. And I thought maybe we just start on the very, very basic of what the words mean and what, that we're using when we refer to Scottish clans. Okay. Now, with that said, what is a clan? Well, at the very root of the concept, it's a family. However, so your, your question that I would anticipate would be, so what's the difference between a Scottish clan and an English family? Well, that's a great question and one that's it's a conversation that's still ongoing because we're talking about maybe some clans in Scotland. Did, did every family operate within the context of a clan or were there families in Scotland who looked a lot less or a lot more like their English counterparts? Well, in order to understand that, we have to define what a clan was, an actual clan. Well, since clan is a Gallic word, let's go to Gallic-speaking regions, which traditionally are in the Highlands. It's a little bit more complex than that, but let's just start there. So the, those who spoke Gaelic, unless you go back to a certain date, you go back way far in Scotland, we expand quite a bit where Gaelic was spoken, but let's just take the 14, 1500s. 
in Scotland, the Gaelic speakers were in the Highlands and in Galloway, but let's not get too far into it. So in the Highlands, um, what, did, what was a clan? Well, a clan was, was a broader network than just a mother, a father, and children, like what we'd call a nuclear family. Clan had a much broader implication. It, it extended to a larger kin group that could go out to relations of the third, fourth, fifth degree. Also, contrary to a popular notion, there were people who considered themselves part of the clan, but that were not necessarily blood-related. They had developed close ties to that kindred. Sometimes they even took the name of the kindred without actually being blood-related. Now, I'm going to give you some heads up, and I, I, I don't have the actual episode numbers with me, and other podcasts do that. They're like, you know, go back and, and reference this podcast number or, go, or that number. But I will tell you that all my podcast episodes are numbered and titled, and I'm going to give you the titles of those. One of the podcasts, and I, I believe I did it in a couple or so episodes, so it was a little bit of a series, was entitled The Structure of a Clan. All right, so you can go back and look at, we go into more detail about how a clan was broken down. All I want you to know is that not every single person in a clan needed to be related by blood. There were some within a clan who thought that they were related to the chiefly family, but they really weren't because sometimes people made up genealogies back then. And they did that on all levels of society, on the very top and the very bottom they went with whatever made them feel good. doesn't change reality. I'm not all about saying people's feelings change truth. Truth is a thing. However, that was, that was just how they did it, and that was their culture. And I'm not saying it's one way or the other on it. I'm not going to get too far into that. but Because uh, you, know, you could get way off on a tangent with that subject. But some people thought they were related. They really weren't. But they considered themselves part of the clan, and like I said earlier, they actually sometimes took the surname. Now, sometimes they knew full well they weren't related, but they took the surname anyway because that was the context they operated in. They lived in the world of the McPhersons, in, in the upper reaches of Straths Bay, and the McPherson were the dominant kindred in that area. They held legal title to the lands that this given kindred lived on. And so they had a legal or a more, maybe think about it in a feudal context, obligation to the chief of the McPhersons, McPherson of Clooney. And they just, every, their whole world revolved around that. They didn't have an already fixed surname. So sometimes they would just adopt the last name of McPherson, especially if he was proving to be, and this, and this was an arrangement that was working out well for them. They liked the arrangement. They liked the McPhersons. They would, they would stick with it. And then other people in this situation were related. And let me just use an example for you from my own experience, my own family, that helps me understand this, because I use this as a comparison to see how quickly this could develop. Keep in mind, um, this culture that we have today of, you know, if I'm going to have kids, if... I'm going to have kids. I only want one or two because 
I don't know, kids are super expensive and there's a lot of things I want to do with my life rather than be chasing kids around. And so I'm not going to have very many. I'm not trying to look, don't get offended. You may only have one or two because of completely other reasons. And that's fine. That's fine. I'm just saying our culture as regarding kids today is a lot different than it was back then. And back then, they tended to have more kids. Now, infant mortality and other mortality was significantly higher back then, but they tended to have more kids. Okay, so I'm going to use my mom's side of the family. Now, if you go back to the structure of the clan, the, uh, the structure of a clan, or clan structure, whatever that episode was titled, you'll know it when you see it, if you want more detail on this. I believe I used this analogy, but I'm going to use it again right now anyway. So bear with me if you've already heard this. My mom's maiden name is Corbridge. I hope I just didn't give away super crucial personal information right there. But her side of the family, her, her dad and his brothers ran a cattle ranch. And they still own the land that the actual ranch houses are on today. The land that the cattle graze on, they do not own that today. But we still have a presence up there. And still to this day, the descendants of my great-grandfather, L.G. Corbridge, meet up there every year for a reunion. Now, L.G. and Mary Tuttle Corbridge had 11 kids. If I understand correctly, if I'm, if I'm, if my, I've got it right in my head. If I'm missing one and you're part of my family, and you're thinking you don't even love your family because you don't even know how many, I, I apologize. But they had 11, that's a lot of kids. Probably even on the high end in their day. But those kids, the descendants of those kids have a reunion still to this day up at, those, up at that ranch every year, every summer. Now, let me just tell you what can happen after a very short period of time, relatively speaking, and the number of descendants that you can get. If everybody shows up to that reunion, I mean, okay, let's say that not everybody shows up, but it was a well-attended year. I think they're, they've got around 200 people up there. It's, it's sometimes less, but even on a good year, that's not like every single person doesn't show up on a good year. Okay, so from that group of people, how many, how many males capable of wielding weapons are there? And, and we're still within the years of living memory of the original couple that begat this, this group. That's living memory. Where would we be if we tended to stay local and we weren't branching out and living all over the place. So I've got second cousins all over this country. But what if we were living in a time where we, we tended to stay more local? And then give us, instead of, instead of 70, 80 years, give us 150 years, 200 years of the same kindred occupying the same Let's say, we, let's say we just lived up in that valley, occupying the same valley. Where would that put us number-wise? That puts us with a bunch of people. Now, you read about these clan chiefs that can call three, four, five hundred people onto a battlefield. This is just fighting capable males that can wield a sword 
and they can go to answer the call to battle. 500. Now amongst that 500, like I said earlier, maybe 100, 200, maybe half of them aren't even really related, but a good chunk of them are. And as time goes on, they're intermarrying with each other. Now really, really, whether it's through a female or a male line, and, and it mattered, but you've got, that's a lot of people, okay, living in a certain valley like Strathspey or on an island like Isla or Mole off the west coast of Scotland. That's a lot of people, okay? I'm not going to go into more detail about how that structure was broken down. You can reference that episode I mentioned earlier and, and get more in-depth on that subject. But that's, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about a clan. We're talking about a group of people. It's a broader network than just, and I would say it's not even, it's, it's broader than not only a husband and wife and their kids, but you know, even in England, I'm sure, you know, in the earlier days, they tended to stay local more too. That's just kind of the times. Yeah, some of them I'm sure traveled, but people generally tended to stay closer to home. And yeah, so you do have your cousins down the road. And yeah, you do have the grandparents that are still alive or not, but there's still there's still this recognizable kindred there. But their whole society was not organized around that. And that could go into, you could, I'm really tempted to get off onto a tangent there, and I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to take the bait. But you could talk about why society develops along certain lines, whether it's kindred or whether it's political. And in Scotland, you see this change take place over a period of time as well. So that's how I would define a clan is it's it's a broader kin group. That's how exactly, that's how I would define the size of a clan, numbers-wise. What other features could we use to define a clan? Well, generally, when you have an actual clan, not just a bunch of people with the same surname, not just a bunch of people who acknowledge that, yeah, I'm, I think I'm kin to that guy over there if you go back far enough, an actual Scottish clan, you're going to also have this, this kin group that recognizes somebody who is at the head of it. A chief is what I'm talking about. And he recognizes himself as the head of the kin group. Now, keep in mind what would happen if he didn't recognize himself. He doesn't want the responsibility. And people are coming to him so that they can redress wrongs, settle disputes, um, put forward ideas for the further furtherance of the clan. Whatever it is, they're coming to him because they acknowledge him as the head of the kindred. And he's responding to this because he acknowledges himself as such. Okay, so that's, a, that's another feature that I would say defines an actual clan. All right, so are there any other features that we could use? Well, I would say that I would go one more thing that I would add to this is you would see the clan coming together on this broader scale for some kind of united purpose that brings them together now, it could be an economic endeavor. There were certain clans that were organized along certain trades. So, for an example of this, you could have the, the Beatons. B-E-T-O-N. The Beatons. And you see this referenced in one of the early episodes of Outlander. 
where the female lead character first is coming in and 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 says I have medical knowledge and that she gets asked if she is a beaten is because this kindred that was they were they followed a trade as a kindred now you do see these kindreds that are organized along trades that do get involved in other trades so they're not bound to that trade but as a trend this kindred will follow a certain trade trade so as i mentioned the beatons were known for being physicians very advanced physicians and they would they could be found as far as i understand throughout scotland plying their trade another kindred that would be a good example of this is the mcvericks the mcvericks were known bards and they and, and a bard wasn't just a storyteller a bard that especially that was in the employ of a certain clan a certain nobleman not only would he tell stories but these just weren't any stories these stories contained the heritage of the clan and so it wasn't just stories it was the history that they were keeping huge way important and you could also go back to these people if they're the historical experts if you were let's go back to settling a dispute again uh, the person, the, the clan bard, who is keeping track. Now, there's, look, I'm going to reference Michael Newton in his book, Warriors of the Word. If you want to get into this way deep and learn the Gallic terms for these guys, and the, there's different levels of this that existed, and that would, that would indicate, you know, what, what word you use to describe yourself would indicate the level of training that you had. Were you just a storyteller? Or were you at this more advanced level where the chief in settling a dispute could turn to you and say, hey, do you, what actually happened with this? Where could we, what, what information could we use from the past that could aid us in moving forward in this situation? I don't know. So the, anyway, the, the McVericks were in that, in that certain trade. And there were, there were artisans. There were musicians. You see the McCrimmons who worked for the McLeods of Dunvegan, of Harris and Dunvegan, the McLeod of McLeod, who were based out of the Isle of Skye. The McCrimmons were a kindred in their employ. And you could see this all over the Highlands. The, the McLeans had the Rankin, R-A-N-K-I-N, would be the English spelling of that, or one of the English spellings, I imagine. Anyway, they were the hereditary pipers for the McLeans. Uh, the MacArthur's were, I believe, the hereditary pipers to the McDonald's, and that might differ by branch of the McDonald's because there's different branches of the McDonald's, and those different branches eventually became no kidding clans in their own right, and that happened with other clans too, like the Campbells, the Gordons. I don't know. We could go down the line, down the line. Uh, fu funny little side note: this morning. There's a guy that I always see walking his dog at the same time I've got my dog out in the morning, first thing, trying to get her some exercise, wear her out a little bit. And I asked his name. His name was Adam Gordon, which if you're from a Gordon background, which I know one of you, some of you are because some of you just got on that, one of you just got on the Facebook group and said, hey, we got any Gordons or Innises out there? And so I, if you're listening to this, you ought to, you ought to like this. 
Adam Gordon. Adam was the name, I believe, of the first recorded Gordon and a favorite name amongst their chiefs afterwards. Many of them were also later named Gordon, or Adam, rather. Anyway, that's, that's kind of interesting. But, but these branches of these different clans developed to become full-blown clans in their own right. All right, so, yeah, so you had these clans that were organized along trade, and they engaged in that together. And I do think that that is a subject that I need to study more on. Um, in John Bannerman's, his, the collection of his essays, entitled, as I look behind me at it, Kinship, Church, and Culture. Once again, that's a collection of essays of John Bannerman. He goes into detail on some of these specific families. So that's another thing that you, there's the title, there's the author. You can look him up on Amazon. That's how I got the book. Um, he goes into detail on some of these clans that were, these kindreds that are organized along specific trades. Now, by far and large, the activity that you see most clans doing together, they come together specifically for this purpose, is so that they can fight. That is, it's unfortunate that it has to be violence and killing people, but admit it. There's some of you out there who think that's kind of cool, right? It's, it's, it's the same reason why action and adventure movies, especially action, are so popular. And you, it's, it's, I find this fascinating because this is just a completely unrelated note, but I do think it's interesting. You have these actors who claim to be non-violent peace-loving, anti-gun people, and then they will star. I'm not going to call any names out. I'm not here to attack anybody. But they will star in a movie that is super violent, and it's got guns all over the place. <laughs> so anyway, uh, there is a part of us that, that the conflict between good and evil, even on a violent stage, is fascinating to us. And I think there's a little bit of part of many men that in a in a what we would consider or we can, can argue would be a righteous cause that we're tough enough to go into a violent encounter and handle ourselves there's some part of us that I don't I think we'll never let that go that that's a something that we would aspire to uh, I don't know anybody that would be like could have jumped in and saved somebody else by being violent, but didn't because they were completely incapable of it, who would be proud of that incapacity? I'm, I'm not really sure I've ever met that, but maybe I'm just running the wrong circles. You got to understand, though, that the Highlanders specifically, but Scots generally, that was a deep part of their culture. We'd like to think that they are raised on the peaceful teachings of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. But I'm here to tell you that the tales of Cúchulain and Finn MacCool were alive and well in the Highlands up to pretty recent dates. And as these people mature and, and grow into adults, the best thing that you could possibly be is a warrior for your clan. Isn't that interesting? So yes, on the one hand, I do feel it's unfortunate that it has to be in the realm of violence. On the other hand, 
that's just what the records show us is that that's the activity that we see them coming together the most for is for for fighting. That's the easiest way to see if a clan was a clan historically. I'm not talking about now in clan societies and legal representation under the Scots law and all that stuff. I'm talking about how it actually worked in the day, back in the day. Is the easiest way to see a clan function as a clan was by watch reading about them going to a fight all together. And how many do you got? Well, is a little bit maybe different in the lowlands and the highlands. On the borders, when I say, talk about the lowlands, the borders are technically part of the lowlands, but the borders looked a lot like the highlanders. And when I say borders, I'm talking about the those kindreds who lived along the border with England. Well, this is an interesting, interesting little detail, side note, but but related, relevant, that these kindreds existed on the English side too. Is that not fascinating? Could we talk about English clans? Well, if you're talking about the borders, I think you'd be able to drum up a pretty good case, especially if you're reading, um, what is his name, George Fraser, George MacDonald Fraser, who is the author of the book Steel Bonnets. Okay, there's another source I've just dropped to you. Um, you can go back and he writes, it's, it's kind of a foundational work on the border reavers, the border clans, the writing surnames as they were also called. The Scottish government in the 1500s saw little difference between the borderers and the highlanders. Now, if you're super new to the subject, highlanders were the people who lived in the more mountainous parts of Scotland. And that geographical remoteness lended to a separation of culture. So, at one time, Gaelic was spoken in many parts of the lowlands. But as time wore on, and this isn't become this isn't from some kind of aggressive violent force this this happened along economic and political lines people in the lowlands changed languages yet there were some other people who settled amongst them some of the scots kings some of the kings of scots invited people from england from flanders to settle and to start up trading communities to boost the economy. And this did introduce a more Anglo element to Scottish culture. So after a while, your Gaelic speakers are found primarily in the highlands, the mountainous regions. To the, you, you know what, if you look at it, if you ever have the chance to go online, do a Google image search, find a topographical map of Scotland, the Highland Lowland line is clearly discernible. Also, Gaelic was spoken up into, I think, the early 1600s in this very southwest of Scotland, a place called Galloway was spoken there too. Now, am I here to tell you that along that line, it was super clear Gaelic speakers on that side, Scots or English speakers on this side. I am not here to tell you that. It was it was not that tidy. And just because the topography looked gentle and was less steep did not did not mean automatically that it was not a Gallic speaking area. But that said, um 
that's a that's a general statement okay i'm just remember we're trying to talk, talk on the very very basic level here so there you have it um there's how i kind of see a clan that's what a clan is at one time much of scotland i have my friend neil king who's been an active part of this discussion on on so many subtopics with that fall under scottish clans and he's taken an active role on the facebook group it really on this podcast from its very early stages. And I am very grateful for his involvement. So Neil, if you're listening to this, I sure love having you on board, brother. He, however, is under, he takes a more hard line when it comes to who was a clan, who wasn't a clan. And I don't take that hard of a line. I've found evidence that in certain periods of Scottish history, this organization along kindred lines was much more ubiquitous or widespread throughout Scotland than just the Gaelic-speaking areas. Now, I think Neil is right, is more correct, the farther, the later in Scottish history you get. And I believe I am more right the earlier in Scottish history you get. I think as the Stuart dynasty consolidated power and made the state a bigger and bigger deal. Now keep in mind, Stuarts used the heck out of the clan structure. I, I really don't even think they could have governed Scotland for, for that long had they not tapped into that structure that already existed. But I think especially you're getting into the reign of King James the sixth of Scotland, the first of England. You're seeing a shift in that time period where I, I think that the kin based society was less prominent in the lowlands. Am I here to tell you that at starting with his reign, it didn't exist anymore? Nope. That's not what I'm saying. I think Mr. King is more right after that date though. And I'm more right before that date. And I just made that date up right off the top of my head. Just pick that. That's That was not prepared. It was just, if I had to just pick a moment right now, that's where I'd pick it. Now, if you, are, if you disagree with me, I don't care. <laughs> and I don't mean that I don't care about your opinion. I don't mind people disagreeing with me. And if you want to go on the, on the comments for the Facebook group and lay out your, your reasoning, make sure you've you're pretty solid on your sources, but I am completely up to be corrected by people. So, and in fact, that's why I'm doing this podcast is because I want to have a conversation with people and I don't want to have my ideas exist in neither a vacuum or an echo chamber. Okay. Just come with a clear argument. That's all I ask. Okay. So, um, and I appreciate Mr. King taking the, the, the stance and and making his argument like he does, because I think it contributes to our discussion on this subject. And I just love talking about this subject. I don't know if you could tell that yet. All right, so so that's that's kind of how I see a clan being set up. That's what a clan is. That's what they do. It's, uh, that's the, some of the defining features. I don't mean it to be, to, to claim it to be an all-exhaustive explanation of a clan, but I think we've got off to a pretty good start. I think that's where I'm going to wrap it up. I think, though, that having done this episode, we're going to go 
next episode, and we're going to do some super basic Scottish history. All right, because like I said, we need to understand context. And and if you want to prepare for that, here's some homework. I'm not telling you how to live your life, but if you would like, um, I would go back to the earlier episodes where I talk about the the Scots of Dalriada, the the Picts, the Angles of Northumbria, the Britons of Strathclyde, the Vikings, the Normans. Because that's where I started this whole podcast off with, was episodes about the groups of people back to whom or to which we can trace these kin groups that later become recognizable to us as Scottish clans. People who, th- these, are, these are the last names of your neighbors or your co-workers or your friends or, or your own family. And I think that's one of the fun things about this is I can meet this guy out, and I've seen him several times before and we've talked before, but his name, last name's Gordon. And I was like, well, you don't say. I know a little bit about Gordon's. <laughs> anyway, so um, we'll go into the, if you want to go back to those earlier episodes and listen to those, and maybe also dig into the structure of a clan if you want more detail on what we talked about in this episode. I keep on wanting to say today, but there's very little chance that you're going to listen to this on the same day I'm recording it. Anyway, because next episode, I'm going to touch on those subjects. If you have a foundation, you'll be tracking. And maybe do it in a place where you can actually have a have a map to look at. Do a quick Google image search. Super easy to find this information. And where was, what, what part of Scotland did the kingdom of Dalriada occupy? Where were the Angles of Northumbria located? What about the Britons of Strathclyde? Or the mixed Viking Gaelic kindreds of the Isles and also of Galloway? What what parts of Scotland were traditionally Pictish territory? I do think that these are relevant topics when we're especially when we're discussing the origins of certain clans and where they came from. Now, one thing I'm reading right now, I want to share with you a source that I am getting immense satisfaction from reading. It's helping me understand things that happened at a formative time when we're discussing the Scottish clans. The book is called Outlaws of Medieval Scotland. That's kind of a cool title right there. It discusses, the subtitle is, Challenges to the Canmore Kings, 1058 to 1266 by R. Andrew MacDonald. Now, that time period that I just read there, 1058 to 1266, that happens to be when a lot of the Scottish clans that we recognize today, right? Those surnames I was mentioning earlier that that you know, maybe you have the surname, maybe it's in your family tree, maybe your neighbor or a coworker has that name. We recognize these names today. Well, these clans, a lot of them, got their start during that time period. And so to read this book and to read some of the huge, important events that were happening during the time period that we see a lot of these clans emerge, man, it's, it's, really, it's really fascinating, and I've got my own questions. And if you're listening, Neil King, you mentioned, because I do read the stuff that goes on on the Facebook group, 
you mentioned that you'd like to dig more into these this this particular time period. Who are these guys from the the kingdom or earldom of Murray, spelled Moray, if you're an American and you've never actually heard it pronounced by a Scot. It's pronounced more like more like Murray. But wh- where were these people coming from? Why were they giving the king of the Scots so much grief? It's all outlined here by a scholar of some note. Um, it says on the back of the cover, on the back cover, R. Andrew McDonald is assistant professor of history at Brock University in St. Catharines, Canada. He is the author of The Kingdom of the Isles, Scotland's Western Seaboard, circa 1100 to circa 1336, and co-editor of Alaba, Celtic Scotland in the Middle Ages. So there you go. I just dropped some valuable sources for you to pick up and move forward with. So um, I haven't got to those other books or those, those sources that, that it mentions that he's a part of, but I'm, I'm almost done with this one, and I have learned a lot of stuff, and I'm going to use some of it in the next podcast because I'm going to hopefully get through these early, these early kingdoms, like I mentioned, the Northumbrians, the Strathclyde Britons, the Picts, the Scots of Dalrieta, I'm going to try to cover that not in as much depth as I did in those earlier episodes so that I can jump into this time period. But but I do want you to see how it emerges from the time period of those kingdoms. Then the Vikings show up. A lot of stuff changes there. The Normans show up. I Through reading this book, I've found that I had some misunderstandings about their arrival because they arrive in the time period that's covered by this Outlaws of Medieval Scotland book. And Brother McDonald there helped me understand, helped me see the light on some of that stuff. So um, I recommend recommend that book. Any of the other books you've heard me mention in this episode, very much recommend it. Somebody asked me a long time ago to get a reading list started, and I did on the Scottish Clans Facebook page. I think I need to revisit that and drop that out there and then allow you guys in the comments to just start adding books that you think should be a part of that. If you're one of those who've done some reading on this subject. So thank you for joining me today. You kind of have an idea of where we're going to be going this next this next uh, episode. I have an idea of where I'm going to go the episode after that, but I'm not going to tell you that yet. I'm just going to just going to have that cooking in the meantime. But anyway, that's where we're going next time. We're going to go more into the historical context from which the clans spring and hopefully that will give you a, a good starting point and it'll increase your understanding of the clan. So thank you for joining me. Once again, here's my challenges that I issue to you every time you listen. Go on Apple Podcasts if that's what you're listening to this on. Give me a give me a review. As many stars as you could feel honest about giving me. And then I want you to add some comments while you're doing that. Let me know specifically what you like. Did I get something wrong? Um, that's actually probably a better for a discussion starter. Not because I don't want it there, but for a discussion starter. And we can get more people in on it on the Facebook group. But leave me some feedback on that Apple Podcast review. Also, you can go to Podbean, podbean.com or the Podbean app. If 
you just type in Scottish clans, super easy to find on that. And you can use you can use that forum or that that platform for interaction with me. And then also, like I've been talking about more, is the Facebook group. Okay, now I've got I've got a page out there, and if you're looking for a page, you'll see it. But it just it's not as conducive to dialogue between all of us, this community that we've got. So give me some comments. And one more thing I want you to do, aside from reviews and comments and all that stuff, whatever platform you're on, I am confident that there is a way to share it with somebody you think would be interested. And even if you've already done this before, because I've been issuing this challenge for a long time now, try to think of somebody that you have not yet shared it with. Anyway, until until next time, Marshen Levendrasta. <laughs>